0: For part two of our first interview, Dr. Stephen Lindheim chats with Dr. Victor Gomel. Sit back, grab a cup of coffee, and enjoy what we think are valuable lessons about our history, sparking innovation, and newer surgical applications of reproductive surgery. Tell me how long you've been working in this industry
1: of reproductive surgery. In 69, I started this business in, and why? Because when I was a resident, they used to, for hydrosalpinges, they would go open the belly and i would see that a nice abdomen and then a pelvic that a pelvis that full of adhesions and then they would open the tubes put little plastic device and suture it and two or three months later they would go to remove the device and leave the tubes up and i would obviously be in the operating room helping the consultant. And I would see that the abdomen was full of adhesions and the pelvis also was full of adhesions. And that is what started me in this business.
0: I want to know who was an inspirational leader in your career who inspired you what you do?
1: Look, my inspirational leaders initially were the german professors that i had in the faculty of medicine where you tell me their names in turkey there was one of them was uh, the physics professor karl zuber then there was another one kurt kosvig and there was frank frank was a very unusual man can you imagine This guy was working in Germany and suggested the removal of the spleen for pancytopenia. And it's still the treatment today. And the guy was kicked out of the department. And he was a very unusual man. I learned from him a lot. You see, in those days, there was nothing except what Flair Medical Uh, This man would come, his lessons were in, in a big amphitheater, even a lot of doctors would come who had nothing to do with the faculty of medicine, just to learn. Oh, so they would bring a patient who had been in the hospital two weeks or three weeks and nothing was happening. And this man would start asking questions, asking questions. And from some little red, uh, whatever they call it, he would go and make a diagnosis. And that was an inspiration too. And, and believe it or not, because I learned this, we had a patient in my first year uh, that uh, in, in in Montreal in, during my, uh, what do you call, rotating internship. When I was in medicine, there was a fellow who was a little oti and brought a young lady with a diagnos- diagnosis of tuberculosis. And it... That was, you know, I was the intern on that side and I would see her two twice a day and so on. And then I started doing intake and outputs and so on and so forth. And I wrote in the chart that this was chronic glomerulonephritis. And then the guy looked at that and wrote, he says, the audacity of this young intern, ta 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 Then I had to prepare that case to give it because she was in the hospital for three, three weeks or more. And, oh, and, you know, after the consultant wrote that, I, whenever he came, I disappeared. And then I took three black uh, boards. I put all the data with different uh, chalks, I covered them. And when I started, I gave the, how, patient came, I opened the first uh, board, took the papers off, and etc. till the end. And obviously, because of that, the head of uh, medicine, who was also the head of medicine at the Royal Victoria the University Hospital, you know, one evening, uh, he came there and he started talking to me and asked me, do you have a Enabling certificate. I said, "Sir, what is enabling certificate?" He says, "You know, don't you want to write your exams?" "Yeah, of course." So he says, "Go and see my secretary and take an appointment and come and see me. Bring your documents." So I asked the boys. Obviously, he said, "What is?" And I always says it's very difficult to get, and you know, Quebec requires this, Ontario requires this. So I went to his office. He looked at my stuff. He took the phone. He was from Newfoundland, and believe it or not, the professor whom I met in Vancouver, was also from Newfoundland. He takes the phone. I don't know what the name was of the He phones the the College of Physicians and Surgeons in Newfoundland. He says, I have a young man here. I will send you his documents and, you know, provide him with an enabling certificate. That's how I got my enabling certificate. And you can see how much I learned from those people. What have you learned in your career's work? I learned that uh, you have to believe in you. You have to work until you succeed. I like that. So let me ask. Nobody believed when I started. You see, I started in 1969. I I had gone to Palmer. I learned how to do laparoscopy. I started laparoscopy and uh, I told you, I think before that I uh, had to go to the head of uh, anesthesia to get permission to you to create a insufflator I sent you the insufflator yes, photo please. so I had for two years, this man who was doing a research with me, and he knew more than anybody else what was happening. And because of this, surgeons, artists, my, you see, I started in 69. In 71 September, Kurt Scholin was coming to Vancouver. I did a hands-on workshop on laparoscopy. We gave uh, lectures uh, two or three hours in the morning and the rest of the time we operated patients. And you know, when I started laparoscopy, people would open the door of the OR and mock me. Okay. And, and with, with the chief of anesthesia there, can't you examine the patient? And very soon I understood that this was a access, surgical access. And having a, a senior man like, like him with me, I could do slowly surgical operations. And in 72, we did an ectopic. And my own professor, who had never come to see a laparoscopy, imagine I could kill a patient in his department. But he didn't. I don't know why. And he tells me, you will kill a woman in this department. If you do another one, I had to fire you. And he was a nice man, soft-spoken. He didn't have vision. You know, I don't know why he would tell me that, but I didn't stop. Obviously, somebody told it.
0: Obviously, your laparoscopy and your adhesion prevention, tell me, how embellish just a little bit on how that made you very curious to continue to do research in this area.
1: Look, I mean, when I saw that uh, there's adhesions, I said, I have to do something to decrease or altogether have no adhesions. So then as I wrote in the article that you asked me to do from laparotomy to laparoscopy, I went to the literature but very old literature. I mean, it was amazing when I saw you will get adhesions if the blood is in the peritoneal cavity. He says, if you leave blood in the cavity, it will go and stick. And all of that stuff was available. It was a trove of information. In 1946, somebody said, if you have uh, blood, it will adhere and cause adhesions. But if the blood is uh, heparinized, it won't adhere. You know, it was a trove. And uh, in 70, I learned from the chap in in, uh, Seattle and, and somebody else who wrote that saline solution is toxic to the lining of the peritoneum. And they are still using it. Okay. So having a laparoscope, having a microscope, I started working. And I did laparoscopy and microsurgery exactly the same time. I was supported by the nurses and the head nurses, you couldn't believe. As much as my boss wouldn't even look at what I was doing, they were right with me. That's great. It's great to have that support. And I will send you, if you like, the preface of my book, microsurgery in gynecology, and you will see that I gave them what they deserved, the nurses. And I said, I put the head nurse's name and the nurses, and I said, without them, a difficult task would have been impossible.
0: So let me ask you, what would you say was the biggest surprise that you've had in your career and why?
1: The surprise was maybe when I was looking second look laparoscopy and there were no additions and the tubes were open. That's great. That's great.
0: Tell me if you could go through this again and you had extra money for research, your departmental chair gave you money, you got funded by somebody, how would you spend it and why?
1: With the technology that we have, there is a lot of things with artificial intelligence and all that stuff. I mean, there is this is a new game, totally new game.
0: Well, that's great that you're all well on top of that. You know, in every career path, whether you're an artist, whether you're a musician or a scientist, you'll have mountains to climb, hurdles to overcome. What do you think has been your biggest mountain or hurdle to overcome, you know, and how did you, how would you tell people today, the people, the learners of today, how to best overcome that?
1: You know, the hurdles was the negativity that I saw. Can you imagine that you have a pro who kept you in his department, Mm -hmm. not coming and see the first case? I could have killed a patient. This poor man, you know, when they forced me to become head of department, believe you me, they forced me. I, you know, I was footloose, fancy free. I was known all over the place, but he... Had to learn it from one of my assistants. You know, I had a a guy who was doing surgery. He came to our department because he was with the military. He had to go back north. He wanted to learn gynecology a bit so that he can do cesareans and hysterectomies. And I liked him and I would take him whenever I saw him and I had a laparoscopy. Come do a laparoscopy. I said, it's the future. In, even in surgery, because I would uh, I would operate big cases with a surgeon friend of mine, lovely guy, very good surgeon. There we operate together, I said, "Look, Ron, look at this gallbladder; it's asking. I will help you to remove one." By then, I was removing cysts, all kinds of stuff. I said, "If he had the courage, he would be the first. So I didn't really have other than negativity, jealousy. I didn't. I always had some support.
0: As you, every morning, sip on your coffee, your whiskey, whatever, whatever you do, or during a lunch break, do you, do you still browse the latest articles pertaining no, to- No, 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 I never mix that. <laughs> never mix that,
1: Good. I never mix food <laughs> with, you know, the only uh, time I read when I, I have a lunch is like I was in Paris, you know, covid I would find a nice place in the sun or in the shade away from the others. I would have my book, but it wasn't a medical book and I would read it. You see, I have as much, as much, uh, uh, but, you know, medicine is medicine. Eating is eating. Sorry, <laughs> research is research for me. I have, and, you know, you have a question here uh, for me. Do you how do? You, well, let me ask the questions
0: if that's okay. How yeah. do you do? You still try to learn and stay on top of things. Oh yeah. So what? Oh, yeah. So oh, of yeah. Course, of course, you're going to tell me fertility sterility is your favorite
1: journal, right? Look, I mean fertility sterility if you see most of my papers are in sterility. that's great that's great i mean look uh, and you know they treated me so well
0: that's, uh... you know
1: i was i was on the board for 3 years uh, when uh, was uh, you know and then i was uh, The, you know, the journal used to be published by the the society in those days, the society published it. And I was the head of the journal committee. So the journal committee, then the guy was getting $15,000, and when I saw how much work he put, his name just escapes me. Lovely, lovely man. He was the editor a very long time. That's in the 70s. Can you find the name? Absolutely, absolutely. I uh, blanked it. Yeah, it's, I blanked it too. <laughs> I double his salary. <laughs> and I, in the department, I had a Wong machine, and I we started really digitalizing things while i was there and when i finished the other thing i did is i was able to have srso it was the first thing that was up as a sub society and Celso ramon we made him the first president
0: edward david uh, dr kempers campers
1: yeah lovely man and he was amazing fabulous
0: I have three questions sort of in closing here. And the first one is, how would you define success in general and success in your career?
1: Success in general, the most important success is what you do with those individuals to whom you teach. Very, very important. I mean, my success as those whom I have trained and what they are doing. What would you want to tell the medical
0: students, the residents, the fellows, the junior faculty today? What would you want them to know?
1: I love to speak to young people. I love it. First of all, I tell them, unless it is your passion, get out. Because if what you do is your passion is not toil. I haven't gotten a salary since I am 65, but I have done the same. Mm -hmm. The second thing I tell them, not to be just a technician. You see, when I got, for example, the honorary causa doctorate of science, I looked at everyone who got awarded, as many as I could read, they all talked about themselves. I said, not a word and not more than 10 minutes. I told them about science I told them that they'll have ideas, they'll go to their seniors, they'll tell them how it's not doable or why is it difficult, even their own peers. I said, never, ever take a oath that has no logical or rational basis, scientific or rational basis, and told them about life. For example, I gave their quotation from the Israeli, life is too short to be small a big, big, big seven. And then I repeated this twice at the end. And I said at the end, look, there is a lot of vi- wisdom in these seven little words. Life is too short to be small. You know, things like this, I speak with students.
0: I'm writing that down because I love that quote.
1: So, Life is too short to be small.
0: Dr. Gomel, you... Victor is my name. Victor, you are a legend. You will always be a legend. What do you want to be remembered for? Look, uh,
1: I don't know. (laughs) Whatever. I did it because I loved it. Because I love people. Because I love teaching. I love to see success. And you know, my father died at 99 years of age. He would tell my brother, he says, you know, nobody comes and visits me. One day, my brother couldn't keep his, (laughs) he said, Dad, he says, how do you want them to come from the cell? You see, I am so lucky that every day somebody phones who is 20 years younger than me or 25 years younger than me. Well, yesterday... Someone phoned and had nothing to do with medicine. He's asking he has a problem with his son and so on, you know, asking advice. So, you see, I am a very lucky man. Well... I want you to know that I'm lucky
0: that I've gotten to know you in the last couple of years and you're helping me put together our views and reviews on reproductive surgery. And I wouldn't have had it any other way to not have you participate and impart your wisdom. And what you've done for the field has been legendary. And I sincerely appreciate you participating in today's interview.
1: Look, Steve... You are a wonderful guy. You know, I sense that from our first correspondence. I am a funny guy. Those I love, I give everything. The people I don't love and I have to do business, I do business in a good manner, but they never come to have a drink with me or never come to my... Those I care for, I do. And this way, you diminish your stress and you cannot live without people that you love. So, you know, I sensed, Who you were. And you know, I saw the way you talk, the way you teach. You're a good man. Thank you. I appreciate that. Not as good as you, but no, 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 no. Look, you have time, you have yeah, everybody does what they can or they want to do. Look, I would love the Congress would have been right here in Portland. I was really looking forward to that. But I am going to go to the next Congress just to see you and people like you who like whom I like there Sina and so on well I, I, I mean you can see the relationship I have with Sina absolutely and he's been a great mentor to me as well you know he's a very good man but again <laughs> he doesn't deal with anybody he doesn't like Stephen if you need anything more I am always ready and I will tell you something else I would love if every so often we can have a zoom just to say hello